The Nuggets offseason begins. We'll talk about Jamal Murray and Michael Horry Jr.'s comments at the press conferences last week. And I've got a very important question. Do Nuggets need to get younger or wiser? <laughs> you are Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. Thanks for making us part of your day and your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Joined by my colleague Adam Mares. You can follow his work over at Adam underscore Mares. This is the world's finest coming to you on a Monday where the Denver Nuggets season is over. Nikola Jokic is out of here. Loved it. Loved it that Tim Conley on Friday was like, yeah, Jokic is on a plane to Serbia. Gone. I'm telling you, just before we get into all the press conference stuff, they're not going to be able to find him for the, for the MVP uh, press conference. Is that your official prediction for real? I really think that there may not be one. Like, I did, like I could definitely see him just being like, oh, I'm sorry. It's a, I don't have the internet access. It's not. No, I can't do it. No, right. sorry. I think my number one likeliest scenario, we'll give this 60% chance, is that he does end up doing some kind of either pre-recorded video in Serbia or Zoom call or something like that. And it's very formal and it's super boring and it's very unmarkable. And we probably won't remember a word of it that was said uh, six months from now. My second you know, the, most uh, like. My second most likely option is that he recorded something in Denver. Like they're like, hey, look, man, they're going to try to track you down. You won yeah. the award. Why don't we just do a quick little thank you now and then we'll just air it in a week. Yeah. You know how at the Oscars, whenever there's somebody that's that's like uh, that's filming something and they'll do like the, the recorded one. They used to do this. I think it's more of the MTV Movie Awards because the Oscars is actually a big deal. But like they had the MTV Movie Awards that they used to do, they would be like, uh, hey, just want to tell my fans thank you so much. Like really appreciate yeah, it. We were yeah. so thankful for all this. I'm here and wherever. See you later. Like that's exactly what I think is going to happen. I want to be very clear on this. This is I I need I I haven't gotten feed, like pushback on this from our friends from the itches over um across across the sea. But I do want to be very clear on this. This is not a oh like Serbia. He is not able to find like obviously there's internet in Serbia. They, there's we have so many followers. This is specifically a Nicole is going to go where no one can reach him. Like this no. is a specific Nicola thing. Not only that, we know this from just years past. Like once the off season is begins for Jokic, we don't hear from him. Like we just yeah. don't see him. Like there might be two or three photos that emerge of somebody in Sambor that like videotaped him stumbling through a neighborhood or something that emerge every year. But he's not. He's not going out of his way. He's not doing interviews. So um, I do wonder. Can I ask you this? He won the MVP last year and got the award. What can you remember from his speech? Like what? All I remember is that it was is that uh, he did it in like one of the hotel ballrooms, and there was nothing behind him. Uh, and I wouldn't say it was like sad. It was just more of just it was the exact opposite of what we see. Like I've watched like Kevin Durant's one, which was like at like a ballroom. Right. That's the most memorable really one huge. though that we've the, the Kevin Durant one is the most memorable one of the last ten years in my opinion. yeah. And like a lot of these are like, there's always like a, a level of presentation to it. If the guy really cared about it or the organization really invested a lot in it. Or and the league. Nicole, you can tell that like, the NBA, like, if they cared about it. Yeah. So, um, because yeah, I, just, so I, I honestly think it's a big deal though, Matt. Cause I think that last year's, like just the way it was presented was so laughably unremarkable. And some of this is on Nicola. Like he just, this is his personality. This is who he is. But I also thought there was this part of it where I almost felt like, it was just weird. I just feel like the league needs to be like, hey, this is – imagine if we could go back a year and say, hey, guess what? This guy that won it is going to win another one next year. If you could tell the NBA that, they might have thought, you know what? We need to really help establish that this is a guy. And I thought the casual nature of it all was almost like a – like we're not – they just go out of their way not to promote it. Now, some of it's on him, but I just I thought would, it was so unremarkable. I will push back on this. As somebody that has worked with the league a little bit closer – than, than you have and knows how some of this stuff has gone. This was almost entirely on Nicola. Some of it was the pandemic, but yeah. like, I think if the league was like, I think if you ask the league, they would like, we wanted it like a ballroom. I like, we want it at like, at like the Hyatt with like a ballroom and like big nuggets and like 
we'll get some some balloons like yellow and blue balloons. like the the league would, would want to do the, the league wants to do big because they have a sponsorship deal right right there's money and so if there's money the league definitely does care and so to me it is entirely a and like part of it is just like look there was a pandemic like we were at a very a worst point in the pandemic then and then on top of it the nuggets were in the playoff series right and it was all kind of tough to me what kind of sucks is just like it's that moment where you get the home crowd. Like that's the biggest bummer of them not doing it earlier. And they couldn't like, they really just, they can't, they can't do it any earlier. Like I, I understand why they do the awards announcement the way that they do, where it's like, you want to give, you want to give space to these awards and not have it be like, boom, 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 boom. I agree. Monday is defensive player of the year and Tuesday is six man, whatever. So I, I get it. It's just like, unfortunate. And usually the, and usually the MVP is in the second round of the playoffs. Like, this was a remarkable year, just like the last year was a remarkable year, and the year before that was a remarkable year. Um, so I don't think it's any sort of like a big deal, but I do think it's kind of, uh, in my opinion, based off of what I know, um, Nicole is the one that sets these terms of engagement, and that's why it wasn't a bigger deal. I think, first of all, you, I agree. The NBA has tried different formats over the last couple years with how they do this. Remember, they had a show at once. That was a big flop. So they've had these different things. I think that the they, way they can make this more perfect is to just come up with a schedule. Be like every year we're going to do defensive player of the year on this night and then this one. And like this is the order. And then in the second round we do coach of the year and then we do MVP or whatever. I just feel like it would be better if everybody kind of knew every year the MVP is announced at game one of the second round or whatever it is. I feel like that would be a lot better. Um, and the last thing I'll say on this is I think if – I agree with you that Jokic has a lot to do with this. In his like, in a weird way, his speech last year was kind of almost bad. Like he didn't have a speech prepared. I do feel like I don't mind Jokic's approach to celebrity and fame and this or that. Like I think it's I, there's something charming about the fact that he never wants it. This is one area where I feel like this is. I, I think he probably does need to put a little more effort into it. This is just one. It's like a small thing, but I do think it's like, hey, you won the MVP. Like a lot of this is a big deal for the NBA and not that you have to be charged with promoting the NBA, but you do have a, you do have to be charged with sort of like embracing these moments of it in your own way, but it can't just be a, like, I, I just thought last year his speech was like, thank you guys. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> like Moving on. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I will agree with that. I think a lot of this uh, to me is, is a, is it his inability to understand like how much it means to the fans. Right. That to me is like the biggest part of it is like, he doesn't, I genuinely do not think he understands how much it means to the fan, whether it means a lot to him or not. He doesn't understand how much it means to the fan. Like fans are online caving for him. Fans are really like it's, and it validates the city and the fan. Like there's a whole community thing here at work. Um, And I think his response will probably be like, well, I just want to win a championship and then we can celebrate the parade. Okay. Fair enough. But I think that's part of the, the dynamic is understanding you know what that moment means for fans that that have invested so much in him as like the franchise as honestly the best player in, in franchise history this, uh, this you've said it's so great it is about understanding that relationship between fans and somebody in here says you can't force him to be like everybody else that's not what i'm saying i'm not saying he has to do the the cry speech or this or that but it's just acknowledging <laughs> what he means to everyone in a way that's like hey this is a big moment and then finally we worried, or I did, maybe you didn't, but I wor- I worried about him winning this award out and being outside the playoffs. I will say he won over so many different people. Like you, you know this because we talk about it all the time. Miles Brown, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. I find him really interesting, even though I don't always agree with him on, on, on all of his takes. He is a certified Jokic hater. He came around on Jokic this playoffs. Like I, yeah. If I, I honestly, the there will still be people that chirp, and whenever he receives the award, will say their piece and do this or that. And Nuggets fans are gonna freak out and quote tweet it and make it go viral. But I think an overwhelming majority of people, even his critics, watched him. And obviously, the Draymond thing, what Draymond said after the series, I just think he has like he he's beyond those criticisms now. I think people are just like, you know what, he's a pretty pretty freaking great player. I don't know any player that's that's won over people the way that he has. I don't. I, I don't remember a player that's done this that genuinely has just like won over people. Yeah. It was so much resistance. It's either you were accepted early on or you've begrudgingly kind of got there. Giannis is the only comp I really have. That's the only one I can really think of. Where it's just like you just can't deny it. Just like, yeah, okay, that's a bad mother. 
So the funny thing is with Giannis, he's such a great comp in so many ways. But the funny thing with Giannis is people still like they're like Giannis has no bag, this or that. But it's beyond the point where they're like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah, they still have their criticisms for him, but they're like, wow, you know what? You just can't be stopped. And I think Yoke will be the same way. They'll be like, but he doesn't do this and this. But you know what? The results speak for themselves. Uh, I like how we didn't game plan this segment at all. <laughs> and every day that we do this show, Adam's like, man, what are we going to talk about? Like, do you have any angles? Like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. And I'm always like, I think it's going to be fine. And it's because of stuff like this. This is like the longest we have gone without talking for six months. So, of course, we ended up just free-flowing 12 minutes. Of- let's uh, let's take a break. We'll come back, and we'll talk about the, pre- the press conferences on Friday uh, with Jamal Murray and MPJ. We'll do that yeah. when we come back on Locked on Nuggets. But first, I want to tell you about Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including the basketball playoffs and the start of Major League Baseball. Go Rockies. Hey, fun story for you. In game one of Bucks playoff series under Mike Budenholzer, their team total under is now one and nine after they somehow <laughs> beat the pants off the Celtics and still went under 106 and a half. I had a lot of money on that and was very grateful when they stalled out and just started running clock late in that game because it was starting to get tense there about the three minute mark. Thank you, Bucks. Thank you so much. Bet Online is your continued source for all your support sports wagering information from live betting, playoffs, esports and more head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action bet online where the game starts we'll be right back on locked on nuggets back here on locked on nuggets thanks for making this part of your day and your first listen each and every day now make sure that your second listen is locked on nba big board so okay Host Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board Newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Lee Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA Draft, Mock Draft, Player Rankings, and of course, the Big Boards. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. That's the Locked On NBA Big Board. All right, Adam, so I got a lot of texts. Got, got, got a lot of text after the press conference from, from concerned people around Denver. Really? After Jamal's comments. Um, Jamal spoke with the media on Friday, Both he and MPJ spoke to him. The most encouraging thing I think that came out of that press conference, and we can talk about that in a second, is Michael Porter Jr.'s comment about watching the, the Warriors and being like, oh, wow, need to be a little, like this game is way more on the mental level, and I got to focus on that, which is exactly what you wanted to hear. Jamal talked about how he just wasn't there. He talked about how he just was not ready at all. He talked about, and particularly he talked about things like coming over screens and still being worried about where he was planting. He was worried about so many things with where he was at. Um, What was your big takeaway? Let's start with Jamal specifically. What was your big takeaway from Jamal's comments at the press conference? Well, the first thing I say about all of this is I tip my cap to the nuggets nuggets pr nuggets in general and the players for talking like i don't think they had to jamal murray and michael porter did not have to meaning by by the rule of the nba i don't think they had to do this i think the interesting thing about this whole jamal saga and like you know he's cleared to play but he won't come back players never want to talk to media i'm pretty certain that jamal murray did not want to do this exit interview yesterday i i can say that pretty confidently that he did not want to do it Guess what? It was the best thing he could have done just for like speaking to people and saying, hey, here's how I feel. Here's my perspective. And it squashes, in my opinion, most of whatever speculation there there was or should have been. And they should have done this two months ago, quite frankly, should have just come out and been like, look, man, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm going through. I nothing would please me more than to be back on the court. But here's my thing. So I just wanted to put that in there because there's this thing right now with NBA players where they just like are, they have this combative relationship almost with media and like, Oh, I don't want to have to share. I don't want to have to share with this guys. Just be authentic and talk about how you feel player people. I think generally speaking, especially here in Denver, people like can handle it. So to me, he came out today and talked about where he was at, talked about, or last week, it talked about being at 85% explain sort of what it means to be cleared and, and, where he wants to be and what what lies ahead for him. And to me, it's like, look, it's refreshing. I think to me, I'm, I have a better sense of could he have come back on one leg? It would have been more like one leg with a risk of future injury or he would have felt that way, but he clearly would not be himself. And all right, it makes a lot more sense than, oh, there's all this speculation and nobody has said anything. 
Yeah. I mean, I think being more upfront with the process is always better. I just think in terms of communication, this is one of the things that like I argued with various people around the team about was I would, I would say like, look, other teams, they're transparent just in terms of if you provide an update, that's what, what the media talks about and they talk about it and then they move on. Yeah. If there's nothing, then the questions keep being asked. And when questions are keep being asked by fans and by outside observers, there's an expectation that somebody has the answer. Um, and so, look, I, I, I'm sure Jamal didn't want to do the exit interview. I don't think, I think he's in a pretty, to me, like the comments, like, I just don't think he's in a great place. I just don't. I think that in general, I don't think he's in an awesome place. I think that the, the I think the injury has been harder for him than he expected and I think that because of his approach to mental tenacity, I think that there's probably a little bit like I, I, I this is high, this is psychoanalyzing a little bit. And I don't know, Jamal, but from what I know, to me, it does seem like there's probably a little bit of why can't I get past this? And that makes it even more, more reluctant. And that was why he kept keeping the door open to coming back instead of just being like, nope, not there. Sorry. It's not gonna happen this year. We'll, we'll deal with it. My, I am concerned about him getting like, do you have concerns about him being able to get to the place that he needs to over the summer? Um, it, what you say that when he was asked about, actually, I don't even think he was asked. He said this unprovoked about what to expect next year. Like when he comes back and he's like, I'm sure I'm not going to be very good for a while. Like when the season starts, like I'm gonna have to ease my way into it. And I just thought like, that's five months away. And so his expectation is that he still will probably start slow to me was kind of eye opening and that, yes, to what you're saying, he probably <laughs> there probably is just a lot of check marks ahead from him, even when we push this out five months. So um, I don't know. It changed my expectation because part of me thought he's going to come out game number one and score 50 points because he's just going to be chomping at the bit from not playing for 18 months. Yeah, uh, I do think that part of maybe the learning process of this season was maybe hey, we need to take the exact opposite approach in terms of expectations, and we need to lower the expectations to zero. And the reason I think that, that there's part of that is, is it's not just Jamal's comments, it's also Malone coming out and his like season-ending presser essentially saying the same. Being like, look, Jamal's not going to be, be bubble Jamal when he comes back. It's just not. They're not wrong. Um, the data, There's data on this. There's actually medical studies that have been done on this in like published journals that I've read that actually suggest that it basically takes nine months of, of basketball playing time from the point that you return before you start. Look, it's, and everybody's different. I'm just saying like what the averages are here. The biggest drop is usually field goal percentage. That's usually where you see it. It's just like, they just don't shoot the same. And that makes sense. Cause it's all, it's rhythm, right? Like you're, yeah. Years to develop that rhythm. I, I think the nine months thing makes sense. The one difference I would say is if he were to have played the final two weeks of this season or just the playoffs, does that mean the nine months would have started then as opposed to October? This is where it gets a little murky. Like had he just played three games, the nine months technically would have started then. So I do. My hope is while I asked him about playing summer league, which he was almost offended by. <laughs> that was what funny. I did. Why we've seen it before players coming back from injury. will go and play one game in summer league to get a full workout in, or at the very least would come and work out that training camp in town. So you could do some live drills. Like where else can you play NBA caliber, almost NBA caliber basketball like that? You can't, you can go to lifetime fitness and get these open runs where Carmelo Anthony hoodie mellow is shooting 18 footers. He's definitely going to the UCLA open run. I'll tell you that. Yeah. But th this is my point to me, it would have made sense or at least it would, it wouldn't have been, it's not an offensive thing to ask like, Hey, would you go down there and play alongside bones or you work out for a week and you're getting live reps. Um, but he said, no, <laughs> like he will play in preseason and that'll be the first he plays. Um, he wasn't really offended. He kind of just laughed it off, but uh, nonetheless, like, I don't know. I, the one thing I'll say is, Oh, well, a couple things I did ask him about, if his d best dunk was ahead of him or behind him. And he was pretty emphatic that it was ahead of him. And the one thing he said was, I've been working out so hard for a year. I'm stronger than ever. Like, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah. There's this thing about your ligaments and how you feel, but then there's this other part about, have you just been working out your muscles and like, what can you do right now? And he seems to think that he's more explosive than he's ever been, which is I think encouraging. Yeah. I don't, the, the big thing for me is I just, 
I don't know what it's going to take for him to feel to feel better. That's the biggest thing. It's like I just when I listened to him, when I listened to the comments, I was just like him talking about being uncertain on that. It's just it's got to be so frustrating when you're like, but I, I'm worried about it. And the doctor's being like, you're fine. This, like, is you're a bad, okay. this is a bad metaphor. But if you got you've been around dogs your whole life and they never did anything bad to you, you have no fear. And then one day a dog bites you. The next time you're around a dog, you're like, I'm a little worried. I have all these data points that say dogs are fine, but I have one very recent one that says they're not. And then you're around them a second time and third time. And each time you get a little bit more like, that's right. The data points are showing me that I'm fine. And I think that's probably how his knee recovery mentally is going to go is first day of training camp. I'll bet he still has a little bit of second thoughts about going to the hole and this or that. And by December, after he has all these other ones, I, I think that that just goes away a lot, quite a bit. And hopefully by mid season, it's no longer there at all. What did you take away from MPJ's comments? Um, well, for both guys, I should say this, and it was more emphatic with Michael Porter that he was asked about how the organization has handled it or, but, you know, basically asked things things about, about the organization and he gave them a a glowing review. And I think that's important because we often wonder like, what do players think of the organization or this or that? And he was, and him in particular, who I just, you, you don't get a sense of like how he feels about the Nuggets or this or that. And he was pretty emphatic in his support and praise and appreciation of them. And I thought that was a meaningful revelation. So that might have been the biggest thing I took away from him. Uh, and then same thing. He was candid. He didn't even always say the right thing, Matt. Like there were parts in this where if I'm the PR director or if I'm his like personal PR, I'm sitting there and I'm almost like cringing, like, hey, that's not the best way to frame this. But at the end of the day, I don't, as me personally, and I'm guessing most people as fans, don't care that it was an unpolished sort of sharing of perspective of where he's at. Him talking about how he went to Missouri, missed the whole season, and then tried to came, come back for the tournament, and how that reminded him of this situation where he's like, I was actually an anchor on the team in college, and I didn't want to be an anchor on the team, even if I was clear or could play. I just knew from experience it's best if I just hold weight out. To me, I just thought that was a refreshing answer and gave a good perspective <clears throat> on probably what he was thinking throughout this process. So I, I was impressed with that part of it. Yeah, him talking about the Warrior series was the biggest takeaway for me that he was basically he was really impressed by. I I I think it's really fascinating looking at the playoff history of the Nuggets, where you face the Spurs, which are a smart team but were so limited in what they the personnel yeah. that they had. Um, and then facing the Blazers, which were just honestly never a great playoff team, despite that team making the Western Conference Finals that season. Um, and then, you know, facing the Jazz, who obviously some issues there. Uh, the Clippers was a very interesting series, but even that team, I don't think, had the edge. Like, my point here is it does feel like they 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 saw Golden State up close and were like, oh, that's what a championship team looks like. You thought that that was your takeaway from MPJ's presser? Just in I, terms of I, less of so from that and more of the overall comments from everybody. I, the, this is the thing I hate doing is we start to psychoanalyze pressers and, and this or that. And I think it could be like, we're just, you're dangerous territory. That was not my takeaway from his. And that would be the one thing that maybe was not concerning, but the one thing I walked away from was, I hope that was clear of just how hard it is to be a truly great team in this league. And I don't know that that, I, I don't know if I necessarily feel that way again from a presser. I don't know that you can get feel that like, sure. again, he didn't say all the perfect things cause he's not a polished public speaker, but um, it was, it was one thing. I, I also asked him about like increasing his basketball IQ and how you do that. He answered NBA 2k, which I thought was a pretty funny answer. Um, but anyway, I thought it was fine, though. It was good to hear from him. Um, he shared some interesting perspective, and I walk away. The, the other thing that I thought was big from him was he feels like he's going to be fully healthy after this. Not that he's an expert on like predicting the future of his own health, but he talked about learning like a new way of walking, running, landing, and the biomechanics of it all, which I thought was interesting. And his mentality is not that he's going to come back and be a part-time player because of injury, but his mentality is that hopefully – this is just part of his healing process, a four-year healing process of this back, and that going forward, it'll be a thing in his rear view. Whether you buy that or not, whether you believe it, none of us know, but it's at least nice to hear that that's his mentality. Uh, I was booked up, so I missed this. I didn't. I wasn't able to make this. I did read, watch, and listen, but I did want to kind of ask you, just as somebody that was there, uh, 
did you what did you find the context of Conley's hindsight's 2020 on MBJ's contract to be? Um, I mean, obviously, I think I, he was in a tough spot, I think, with all of his with some of those questions or, or what have you. But look, when a player gets injured like that and then becomes an untradeable contract, of course, it's like hindsight's 2020. What what would Denver sign Michael Porter for right now as a restricted free agent? Yeah. Less I, I don't even know, million. but that's the point. Yeah. Less than 170 million. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know that Conley needs to be that guarded about, Hey man, like if we could take back that max, we gave a guy who then played zero games healthy. Of course we, I, I don't think he was saying that explicitly, but um, you know, they knew the risk they were taking. I've maintained, he didn't, my, Tim Conley didn't say this, but I've maintained that the idea of the max contract early one, it's their MO, but two, it would have allowed him to be traded more easily for more talent this year. Had he just remained healthy, not that they were for sure going to do that, but you could at least look at that and say, is this a guy that is better suited as a max contract trade piece, or is he better suited, um, you know, to be on our team? And was he more likely to stay healthy for this last year that just passed as opposed to for six straight years? And I think there was like, yeah, this one year, I think we were just going to stay healthy and then we have our options. And then, uh, all right, let's take a break. We'll come back. And I have a question I want to ask Adam about what the nuggets need to be looking at for how they're going to build this roster over the summer. We'll do that when we come back on Locked On Nuggets. But first, it's time to talk about Built Bar. Summer's coming, and with summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on family vacations. Throw them in your bags and your kids' backpacks. Make sure that everyone's got a Built Bar so you're fueled for your summer adventures. I got my wife one of those collapsible uh, kayaks. She's wanted a kayak, and then she made a big deal about, well, I have, if I get a kayak, I have to get the rack. And I was like, okay, I can get you the rack. And she's like, well, I'm worried about being able to get the, the kayak up onto the, the rack without you. And I was like, Okay, so I just bought her one of these collapsible kayaks. It's awesome. But she gets, like, she gets, if she's doing anything that is physical activity outdoors, if I do not get her food, it's bad. Like, the the hangry thing gets real. And that's why I make sure that she's always got a built bar with her always at all times, especially because she loves chocolate. And guess what? They're covered in 100% chocolate. They've got 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, just 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. You got so many great flavors banana cream pie, raspberry, double chocolate. You got the puffs, which are protein infused marshmallow covered in hundred percent real chocolate. Absolutely crazy with the, the churro flavor, which is amazing. So many great flavors. Check them all out. Go to built.com and use promo code locked 15. You'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. We'll be right back on locked on nuggets. Back here on Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for making us part of your day and your first listen each and every day. Make your second listen, Locked On NBA. It's got nightly recaps of all the NBA playoff games and action and latest stories. Uh, I'm actually on tomorrow's show. You can be able to check this out on Tuesday's episode with me and on Fridays with one Adam Mares. So check it out, Locked On NBA, wherever you get podcasts. Um, Adam, this has been an interesting question, I think, uh, that I've I've kind of bandied about with various Nuggets people. And I think it's a really... Uh, it's, it's an interesting and it's a, a contextual question. So Conley did kind of like, he, it's good that Conley wasn't like, we're bringing everybody back and it's going to be fine. Like he said, like, no, we're going to have to reshape some things. Um, I do think the bench, the whole bench thing this year was like a woof. Okay. Got to make some changes here. Um, even if that means bringing back cousins. So my question for you is this. Oh, the All hammer right. is out. Oh my goodness. This is, this is big time right here. Okay. So my question for you is this. There's there's not there's a bunch of ways that they can go. One of the things that they did th- this year was they had young guys in Zeke Naji and Bones Highland that they yeah. were expecting to contribute and or make leaps. Zeke right. never really made the leap, but he looked better when he played. I think Zeke uh, was just I think it was just injuries. I honestly hurt. think yep. Zeke was an yeah. on path to be a playoff rotation piece. I know. Uh and Bones is obviously great. Do you, um, do you disagree with that? You said, I know as if it's not true. Like you don't think he could have taken J Mike's. I'm not like dismissing it. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not as sold on Zeke as you are. I'm just not like, well, there were I'm times- not sold on Zeke as like, which is it better to trade him or this or that? I'm just sold on him being like a positive, like asset player. Had he stayed healthy through that? I think it's very borderline on positive negative. That's where I'm at. Is like, I think overall, I'm a little, I'm a little 
wary of the shooting numbers despite two years of data on it it's still just such a small sample that i'm still kind of like i want to i just want to see more i need more convincing i'm not sold that he's a negative i'm definitely not sold that he's a negative i am just not i'm not bought in yet does that make sense sure um the other thing they did was they brought in a bunch of veterans, right? So like DeMarcus Cousins, a lot of NBA experience. Jeff Green was one of the big offseason additions, a lot of NBA experience. So I think one of the interesting questions as they look at the bench additions is younger players are cheaper and that provides more flexibility. Veterans are more expensive, but they provide a higher floor. So if you're reshaping the supporting roster around the core this summer there's obviously like it's never one thing or the other but i do think the question of how do you find like should they be looking to get go younger and cheaper or more experienced and more stable given that i think there are limits on both you don't want 18 year olds i don't think and i don't think that you want 35 year olds I think there's a balance in there and that's where it gets tough because those guys are obvious. Like the, if you're between 25 and 32, that's your max. Like that is the, the highest range of salaries in the NBA. And the question I have is, is it better for them to have more experience or more youth flexibility financially and explosiveness, which is the better kind of approach? Well, I think let's just go through the roster here. Yoke's a veteran he's a veteran. He's a two-time MVP. He's a vet. Like he's been in the league for quite a long time now, seven or eight seasons. Um, Jamal Murray to me is a veteran. I know he missed these last two years, but he's been in this league. For, he's got 50 point playoff games under his belt. Monte Morris is now a veteran. Um, Austin Rivers on the team. He's a veteran. Uh, Aaron Gordon's a veteran. He's been around the league and now he has two playoff runs, including some pretty you know big playoff games in terms of going up against top talent. Like those guys to me are veterans. Um, that's a lot of guys. Now you look at it and you go, Bones is still a young player. Zeke Naji's a young player. My thought, my overarching thought is that there are 17 roster spots, 15 regular, two, two way. I think the Nuggets punted on too many this last year. And that's my big takeaway. So do they need veterans? I do think that they need veteran players. Like Austin Rivers is a veteran. Even Jeff Green's a veteran who has bumped up above what he was brought in to do. And I think it made him look worse. But I think you need players that know what to do and that you can count on and rely on more so than what Denver had this year. Um, it's not an either or to me, other than if you look at the mistakes to me, it's Marcus Howard as a two-way guy. What was the upside there? And was it a guy that you really felt comfortable like, oh, in two years, he's going to be a major piece. They clearly did think that. I think that it's really hard to think, expect a guy that small and that one-dimensional to grow into an actual NBA player. So that was a wasted spot to me. Peter Cornelly, worth a flyer, I guess. I've heard that the two ways this year were a little hard because players were – you think about how many guys got called up. There, It was weird signing guys to two ways or what have you. So maybe you could forgive it. But again, those are two, to me, wasted roster spots. And then the big one was Bol Bol. I just – I think we, we can no longer have the Nuggets waste an actual roster spot on a lottery ticket. If you just replace those two – those three spots – with a Davon Reed, uh, you know, like, okay, now that's, and they obviously did eventually. That's a good, like, he could grow into something. If you had a second Davon Reed instead of Marcus Howard, not a guy that might turn into Steph Curry, but a guy that might turn into PJ Dozier or something like that, that's a good use of it. And then you get rid of Bull Bull and you just bring in another veteran type player that you might break in case of glass type guy. That to me is where Denver can get better. Those that's three roster spots, and if you throw Vlaco Chanchar in there as well, people have mixed perspectives on him. To me, he's a fine 14th player, 15th player on your roster because if he had to play 10 games in a row, I actually feel all right with that. Okay. And that's what you need is like a guy that's not going to win you games, but a guy that's like, you know what, so and so is down. We need a guy that can go in there and make low mistakes. Denver could have used one more of those guys, in particular at small forward. If they had the Vlatko Chanchar of small forwards, I think it would have been a lot better for them this season instead of, of course, Bol Bol, who was this lottery ticket that ended up burning them. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Vlatko because you were you were so high on him in preseason coming off of the um, Slovenia yep. Olympics run. And I don't know really what to do. Like, honestly, like I was very down on him and then I actually liked how he looked when he played. I don't know. I don't really know what to do. Like I know why he's on the team. It's because of his relationship 
with Nicola. I just don't know. Like, I don't know if that's why he, that's the only reason he's on the team. I he's a guy to me again. Every roster has a guy that's at the end of the bench, and the question is like the Lakers had Jared Dudley in their championship yeah. run. You know what I mean? Like it's fine for me. Jared Dudley is not a guy that if he's actually in your playoff rotation, things probably went wrong. But he's a guy that one is can be a good behind the scenes locker room practice squad guy that like makes everybody better through practice. And if he has to play, if he has to play for short stints, not where a team can game plan for him, but just like, Hey, can we plug him in? He can do a good job. Jared Dudley is that way. Blackwood Chantra is that way. You can have one or two of those guys. In my opinion, I think, I think that's a good, like, this is kind of the way I would, I, I, the, the way you're talking about this, suggesting me, this is a framework that I kind of agree with, which is if Vlatko is 14, then everybody above that in the rotation has got to be better than Vlatko. Right. And Vlatko wasn't bad. Right. So, right. like, he's playable, right? Marcus Howard, not playable. Bull Bull, not playable. You had guys on roster that were not playable. So guys 13 through 9 are going to have to all be guys that you're like, yes, they can get minutes. I can think one of the interesting questions is, like, what's the degree of that? Like, what's... You know, is it in terms of being able to get minutes? Is it well they can play like ten minutes if there's a bunch of injuries in November, or right. is it you know re, kind of recalibrating the roster of no, no no I want to have because some of the teams do do this even teams that run tight playoff rotations guys eight through eleven are all guys that they're like no no, no. like the Warriors actually I think are a pretty good example of this Juan Toscano Anderson did not play in game one, in in game one of the the Grizzly series did not play. If they need Juan Toscano Anderson, Juan Toscano Anderson can play for a game. game one. If he was in a playoff series for seven games, I think eventually he becomes like he could sink you because he's not a great player, but he's like Vlatko in that he knows where to go and what to do. And if he like gets surprised in game one, Michael Malone did not drop a game plan for Juan Toscano Anderson in game one. Right. But if he played games one and two, he probably would have a game plan for him in game three. Yeah. And so like, I think that's like, that that I, I like the the framework of that of how that needs to be considered. I do. I, I will say this. I I was a little disappointed this year that they didn't go more towards taking chances on guys. Davon was the only guy they really took a chance on, and then they didn't convert him. Um, I think a lot of this has to do with the complex machinations of what they expected in terms of the guys returning. I think that like the timing of all that got really bad. I think if Jamal was where he was like. If if they had just if they had known like oh Jamal's definitely not going to be back and MPJ's not going to be back, I do continue to think their trade deadline looks different. I just do. I think there was always kind of the backstop of look, do we really want to make like a drastic change? Right. If these guys are coming back, like well, all we got to do is get through another month. Right. And that just wasn't the case. So for me, I think that's like an interesting question though of of um, I, I would like to see them. I would like to see them take more chances, whether it's G league guys, like they have an affiliate now and they get a really well, good staff there that can identify guys. This is, there's a one hard factor in here. Cause I agree with you, but here's the hard thing. They did take a chance this last two years. They got Faku. That was a chance. It worked out very horribly, but I've always thought when Denver started signing the, some of these big contracts two years ago, my thought was Denver, you know, Tim Conley found Tory Craig. He's found PJ. He's found all these guys on the periphery. And I was like, they're going to find guys in Europe that want to come over. And what better situation is there than Denver? Mm, yeah. They just went to a guy that ended up backfiring for them. And I maintain, I know we differ, differ on this. I maintain that at least some of that had to do with he was put in a really, really tough spot. But again, Flacco was a guy they, or Faku was a guy they needed this year. Like they needed Faku. And I think that was the hard part about it was they wasted half of the season with him as like a key piece of the rotation. And I, that that's the thing that scares me a little bit. So they, they did take chances just on the wrong guys. Well, no, and I think that's like an interesting question then of, of to, to spin it forward and avoid the, the FACO discussion is more of like, isn't that kind of part of what's, what's important here is if you have the top seven, then guys eight, oh. go ahead. So this guy says Faku's a plug-in player, and they didn't expect him to have a major role this season. Really? Who were their point guards? Yeah, he was supposed to be the backup point guard. He's, He's supposed to be the backup point. Like I agree with you. Two yeah. years ago, you're right. Yeah. You have Jamal. You have Monte. But coming to this season, they had Monte and they had rookie Bones, 
who even if you think like you cannot go into a season with an MVP and say like rookie bones is for sure yeah. going to be our backup point guard. You say, we hope he grows into that, yeah. but not because Faku was so bad, which is sort of what happened. You would hope that bones just over the course of a season surpasses him. What ended up happening was a little bit of both bones ended up playing really great, but Faku was just also that bad that they had to make a change, but he was yeah. absolutely penciled in not in pen, but penciled in as this is our default backup point guard going into the season. And and I want to like state this. I don't think that was a mistake. At the time, it wound up being one. Like as the preeminent guy that did not believe in him out of the box once I started to see him up close and all these type of things. Like I, my position's well established. He was fine last year. He wasn't a fucking disaster. Like if he was a disaster last year, I would have been like, they cannot go into camp with Faku Campazzo at point guard at, as yeah. the backup point guard. That wasn't where I was at all. I was like, no, Faco Capazzo will play like 20 minutes a game. I, I will continue to have frustrations, but he'll probably have good games and bad. It didn't work out that way. That's not, I'm not going to victory lap over that. Like we can disagree about a number of things on, on, on Compazzo, but I'm also not going to sit here and play revisionist history and act like, uh, like I, that I said they should be cutting him over the off season. Cause that wasn't my position. I'm not going to go back and, and play revisionist history on that. I think that my concerns over him have not been, validated by certain entities on the show and it frustrates me but i do think that when we look at Compazzo, what you're talking about i think is interesting more from this perspective they were they, they were tied to him right like they took that chance on him and they were tied to him so for guys eight through 11 is part of the discussion that we're having here about these guys and i i thought a lot about this in the playoff context of having guys that you don't have to play because to me, the, the Utah Jazz's biggest problem is that Rudy Gobert makes $35 million a year and they have to play him. There are other guys around the league that in these rotations, they have to play these guys. Despite it being like, look, for this matchup, it's just not a good idea. It's just not a great idea. Like Steven Adams makes the exact perfect amount of money for Taylor Jenkins to be like, it's not your series. We'll see you next round. He's going to play when he gets out of health and safety protocols versus the Warriors. I think he'll be impactful and positive. That matchup honestly isn't as bad as it was versus the Timberwolves. You have to have guys that you don't have to play, and particularly for Denver, who does have a number of guys that they do have to play, like MPJ or whoever else. You're going to have to play your your starters, right? But I think particularly 8 through 11, 12 – need to be guys that don't have to play, but can if they're needed. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you could have to be malleable there. Denver, it's so hard to evaluate the season is because they they really, being as shorthanded as they were, a lot of guys had to play that that I don't think were all that good. So yeah. um, it did put them into a tight spot in that one way. Somebody's talked about the perimeter defense, and that is the, that's honestly where your veterans come in. Like Austin Rivers was a very good defensive player and therefore a good player, but – NBA defense is so much harder than NBA offense. And NBA offense has gotten hard. It's complex. It's nuanced. You have to be able, especially playing with Nicola, it can be like you have to learn how to cut and, when, and the timing and all of that. But the defense part is so important. And young players, that's the part that takes the most repetition. And that's where, so when we talk about that's where Denver has to bolster, I don't, unless they find it Herb Jones in the, in the draft, that's the only type of player I could see making a, an impact as a young player, is a super dynamic young defensive guard otherwise you probably go with veterans to shore up those weaknesses which brings me to matt you ask about should they get younger or older they have a draft pick this year they don't have one next year so they have a draft pick this year and not one next year do you go after do you use that pick and if denver they pick at 21 is the pick that they make likely to step on the court next year you think about that the answer is probably not i mean he'd have to be a hell of a rookie to break into what's already the established like number of guys that they have at various different positions. So to me, it's just one thing to think about is you might draft the perfect player, but for him to get in to get minutes to grow and develop it alone would be hard. Yeah. And then you, you realize that they got the, they got their backup point guard and backup, their backup point guard off of the 26 pick. And that's a great uh, player, you know, but the circumstances allowed for that this year, will the circumstances allow for it next yeah, year? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean that's the kind of key here is like do you want your do you want your backup small forward to be the 21st overall pick? Do you want your backup right. you want right. your backup point guard to be the 26th overall pick in his second season and your backup small forward to be the 21st pick 
rookie this year. That's such a great thing. Think about that. If he's say it is your backup small forward where Denver's the most weak, do you go into the season with an unproven rookie as your guy? And if not, that means he's the third string. And if he's the third string, does he get an opportunity to become the guy? <laughs> like this is that's the the situation Denver's in. Do they draft a backup center? Well, then is he the third string center or are you just going to go into next year with a guy who's never played center at the NBA level and say that's our backup? I just don't know how you could do that. Uh, Zamora mentions no herbs or players similar. Maybe one of the top 10 picks. He says there's no great defenders in this class either. I haven't dug, dug enough into the draft to know. Um, to be I honest, hear, to be well, the one thing I've heard just from talking to people that cover the draft very closely and even some people with the Nuggets, there's a lot of length. A lot of wings in this draft is what I've heard in the twenties, like in the twenties range. So like um, my, I'll tell you my approach, which I'm, I'm captain old is I just, I would, I would definitely be looking for, Hey, I'll give you the 21st pick and whatever asset is available in terms of tradable guys um, to get a veteran wing defense. Like I would, I would pick up a veteran. Like if the Knicks are like, uh, yeah, we would definitely trade Alec Burks for 21 and whatever. I would be very interested in that. Like I would be 100% like, Hey, you get younger. I need a guy that I know can play. Let's make a deal. But Denver, I mean, part of this is that this is where the financial stuff comes in is like the rookies are cheap. The rookies are cheap and, and movable. And that to them, like that's always going to be very important when you have as much salary committed uh, in the starting five as the nuggets do. Denver does have a couple expirings. I know they've lost their value a little bit in recent years, but you have some expirings that you could attach to that pick to get back equal contract value. Because you're right that that's the value of a rookie. He didn't cost much, especially in the 20s. But if you were to trade a Barton and a first, you might be able to get back a rotation piece that has two years on his deal instead of one. And it seems like, hey, we'll take a pick for one year of Barton's contract. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like there, I will tell you, there's, there's going to be a team... I think there will probably be, and this is not based off of my speculation. Like I've asked around about this. The, the feeling I've gotten is no one's going to be like, yeah, we really want Will Barton, but there's a lot of teams that are going to be like, yeah, no, Will's Will's competent. We'll definitely take Will. And, and with like the idea of like, Hey, maybe Will can, you know, be better. Hey man, I I honestly think we're in a box here. Like, you look at Will Barton's numbers from last year. They're the same. They're almost identical to his yep. career over the last three or four years. Everybody hates Barton in Denver like the fans do. I think as a trade asset, he's no different than what he was last year or the year before, which is to say – and now he's on an expiring, which is to say some team can use a Barton. His contract yep. a little bit more. Is he making $15 million? He should probably make it $11 million, probably $10 million, something like that. But he is not the player that the people in this chat think he is from a trade, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. I do like this from Medina, from Joshua. If Barton is gone, who do we blame then? No, honest. This is an honest question, Matt. We'll do this next year. And you want to know, I, I'm going to set the tone early on this one. And people are going to get so sad. You know who I think is? Every team has this. You know this, Matt. You cover teams. Every single team has this. Do you know who? We were joking. I can't remember who I was talking to. Do you know who the Mavs' Will Barton was last season? And I'm really good friends with Kirk Henderson. He's one of my good friends out here, so I know this. Jalen? Jalen Brunson, their second yeah. best player, was their Will Barton last year. He takes up too many shots. He isos too much. Jalen Brunson's their second best player. I don't think it's – I actually think it's pretty easily him. Yeah, it's very easily him. Yeah. Pretty easily. He was their Jalen Brunson last year. Now, Will Barton's not going to turn into the second best player in the Nuggets next year. But if he's gone, do you know who I fear is going to get the ire of Nuggets Nation? Who? Take a guess. Who would you get? Well, it's Michael Porter Jr. for one, but outside of him. Aaron Gordon? Bones Nashawn Highland. No, I'm telling you, Bones. I love him. He's great. He's a great player. He's not going to deserve it. But Bones this year was not exactly a super efficient like three point shooter, like volume wow. three point shooter for a guy that takes nine per thirty six minutes. Um, I think he's a great player, and again, he's not going to deserve it. But there's always a guy like the team always finds a guy that it's his fault one hundred percent. And I just look around, and I'm like, it might be him because he does. He has to reach a very lofty expectation that Nuggets fans have set for him to be this all-star. And like Jamal Murray in his second year was a good, not great player. Bones Highland in his second year is probably going to be a good, not great player. But the expectation is that he's this like budding all-star that's six months away from being as good as Damian Lillard. I disagree with you. And the reason I do is because in my experience, if you are below the age of 22, everyone loves you. Like, do you everyone loves you. Do you remember Will Barton's first season? Like, we, I think it's who did we say Aaron. about Will Barton his first year? 
Gave the team some energy, gave some life. He was the people's champ. Look at his personality. Look at his swagger. All of these things were positives. The moment it flips all of a sudden. Now, again, it might not be Bones. I'm just saying I think about this a lot about where will the one guy who it's all of his fault. And I don't think it's going to be Jamal. I don't think it's going to be Monte. It's definitely not going to be Jokic. I don't think it's going to be Aaron Gordon because of role. Michael Porter, maybe because he's a max contract guy. You're running, starting to run out of guys that that it's like absolutely going to be this guy. And you, I'll need- say it's Aaron, um, just because Aaron misses threes. And if you miss, like that's what that that to me is the formula. Yeah. Are you over twenty five? Yes. Do you make threes? Yes. You're fine. Are you yeah. over twenty five? Yes. Do you make threes? No. You are the problem. <laughs> that to me is the equation. That to me. Is- the nugget, if the Nuggets are scoring 125 points a game, like what does it matter if Aaron Gordon? And yet everyone talks about the offense. And yeah, yet everyone talks about the offense. This has been a great show. Thanks for joining us, everybody, in the chat. This has been an awesome episode. Good to be back with you, Adam. Oh, Adam, I, Bert, we, we, give us an update on birds. Man, it was a good week for birds. I saw a couple new ones here. I, I had to mark them down. So I saw the mountain chickadee, which is always great. I saw the pine siskin. I was up in Breckenridge. Saw the yellow rumped warbler. Saw my first Swainson's hawk of the year um so pretty good little week got some things going i dated a yellow rump warbler in college um so i <laughs> waka 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 uh what? my my story from you is uh for you is i was at my son's birthday party this weekend he's 11 now um we had one of those bowling and arcade places a lot of fun good time it was great to have a he is his first party and since the pandemic started so he was like he was like very like emotional. He was like, thank you so much. And I was like, no, it's okay, kid. Like, don't do, it's okay. Um, but we had a big party. But this is the first one where there's starting to be like some some interpersonal drama. Uh, there was a like triangle, as I described it, where there was a girl that liked my kid and my kid liked another girl. And that girl liked one of my <laughs> kid's friends. And it was like, there was just like a whole bunch of dynamics. Wow. And, it, and I was just like, I am not prepared for this <laughs> at all. Like oh, I can cover the NBA oh, no. drama. All day long, but I'm not ready for what this has brought into my life. So that is my my weekend story. Um, All right, we'll be back all this week with more Yellow Rump Warblers and more on the Nuggets offseason as we continue these discussions. We'll be back with you Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's going to be me and Adam. Adam's going to be with you tomorrow on Tuesday. Solo show for me on Thursday. I'll probably bring in a guest, one of of the usuals, to to chat about the Nuggets and where they're going this this offseason. We'll uh, have you covered for all the stuff that's going on. We'll keep you abreast on all the news. If uh, Jokic wins MVP and it gets announced, we'll make sure to do an episode to talk about that. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Have yourselves a great week. We'll see you guys again next time on Locked on Nuggets.